This is the Six Figure Exit. We are two entrepreneurs sharing how we've shaped our lives and our businesses. Our purpose is to help you grow your business and personal excellence. Welcome back to the Six Figure Exit, folks. I'm your co-host, Carson, here with Gavin. It is our 13th episode. Dang. That's pretty good. We're moving along. 13 weeks. Thank you guys for following. We really appreciate it. We've had a lot of good feedback and a lot of great comments on social media, and we really appreciate that. That means a lot. So it helps inflate my ego. It is actually cool to actually have people care about what you have to say, Um, not from like an egotistical thing, but like... That way, I mean, you know that you're doing some good. Yeah, it's helping. I've had a lot of people ask questions and uh, even more so since we started doing this, just reach out and uh, more than happy to help if we can. So, Carson, where are we uh, located now? We moved the the show again. (laughs) This is our second take. Gavin had a breakdown (laughs) laughing. We moved our show. We're trying to film the episode. If you guys are watching on YouTube, Um, we've got a camera going. This is the first time filming for us and we moved to the living room in order to film it. And so yeah. I mentioned that in our first take and Gavin laughed for 45 seconds straight. Yeah. Just cause it didn't seem like it was a professional production when we moved from Carson's dining room to the living room, which is uh, 15 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, uh, well, you got to start somewhere. Now that we're on camera here, uh, this is a great setting. Carson's getting blasted by the sun, but, uh, it's the first time we've had sun looks in great. two weeks, so I'm doing fine with yeah. it. Yeah, you look is, great with the, the shadows on your face. Just uh, really set your, your facial structure Chiseled to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think speaking of sun and the weather, we've got three inches of snow coming later today, which is going to be the biggest snow event of the year so far. And we're tomorrow, but... No, it's today. It's this afternoon into... De- or no, it is tomorrow. <laughs> All right, so we got three inches of snow coming tomorrow, which is going to be the biggest snow event of this season so far, and we're January 9th? Today's the 11th, I think. 11th. Yeah. So I'm living in the past. January 11th, and we got the biggest snow event, and it's three inches. That's kind of crazy. Last year we had, what, 40 inches by now? 40, 50 (laughs) inches of snow for the season probably this time last year, if not more than that. So this is a big change, but we're getting excited. I think everyone's getting amped up to go out uh, and actually plow some snow, which is what we wanted to talk about today was the snow removal industry. It seems like um, a lot of you guys are intrigued by the snow removal industry, how we got started, how to get started, and why. Everything between from equipment to people to contracts to pricing to All all the above. We're going we're gonna to cover it all here today. This is going to be an action-packed episode, and the only thing it's going to cost you is a very brief share of the show. Super We'd, easy. Super easy. We'd just appreciate it if you guys would just screenshot your phone or just click the share button down below and share it to your Instagram story or with a friend. Send it to somebody that might get value with this. Um, we hope to help a lot of people out, and the only way we can reach more people is by you sharing the show. <laughs> Carson just winked at the camera in case you're not watching on YouTube, but (laughs) this is going to be the snow show. This is the snow show. Welcome to the snow show, folks. So, well, let's dive right into it, Gavin. Yep. I don't, uh, I don't know. You're going to have a lot more to say about this than I do because I dabbled in snow removal for a couple seasons and got out of it very quickly. And um, why did you get out of it? I didn't like the. Because, I, I mean, I kind of started the, a business to be in charge, and I don't want 
weather to be in charge of when I need to work. And yeah, you can't that, plan. And anything. it's just inconsistent and it's yeah. expensive to do it. And, um, finding people to, that are reliable to do it is tough. Um, and I, I guess I was kind of a smaller operation when I started doing it. So I was like, I don't know. I just didn't see a future in it. Didn't love it and wanted to focus more on just trying to build a better landscape business, not a landscape and snow removal business, which is hard, harder because it's very seasonal here in Minnesota. But, um, well, you kind of started doing some home remodeling stuff and whatnot, yeah, which kept right. you guys busy throughout the winter too. Yeah. Yep. So, so I decided, uh, pretty early on when I started, I was like, uh, eh, this, I'm not going to pursue this, which was fine with me. And Looking back at that, are you happy with yeah, that decision? I am because I, I was not tied down to being here, being available for snow 24 seven. And just the, I mean, just the hours of being up in the middle of the night is tough. And, um, yeah, I just wasn't too interested in pursuing well, that. You're still deeper. doing that now though. Yeah. For different reasons. Now <laughs> I got a baby that's waking me up. Every couple hours. Every couple hours. That doesn't pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just costs money. Yeah. But yeah, it is tough. Like if you guys are thinking about getting in the snow business and you have a family, uh, it's tough. It's a it's a lot of work. I remember yeah. just growing up from kind of that perspective of my dad plowing snow. And I mean, there was Christmases where he wasn't there because he was out plowing snow Christmas morning, which right. that's sucks, terrible. But you know, yeah, part of the business. It is what it is. Well, even like now if if I was doing snow and you know, we had just had Dallas, like I, there'd be nights where I'd have to be out away and then be all on Sophie to take care of them. And I just would feel terrible about that. Yeah. But it's not easy. It's a lot of time. To, I mean, a lot of guys are probably going through that. I yeah. imagine. Yeah. And if there's a, yeah, if you want to, like, I like taking vacations in the winter, um, just cause it's a little slower for us, obviously. And you can't really schedule a vacation. It's like, oh, this week looks clear. Try to plan something yeah, last minute. So on a whim. Yeah, that's until. Well, I will say, like, is if you can scale the company to the point where you don't have to be in the field all the time, then that's you the can. Key. Then you can get back to that point. But there's going to be probably a three to five year period of really sucking and just you know doing it. You yeah, know? you're out. You're you're in the plow truck. You're out shoveling sidewalks. You're doing salt. Yeah. You got to get through that before you can get to that next step, which is where we've been working to get for us. And, uh, we're kind of there now where I don't necessarily have to go out unless someone's out of town or somebody doesn't show up or something like that. Then I'll step in and help out. Um, and I'll still go out here and there when like this year we've had just salt events basically. So I've gone out a couple of times to just salt stuff instead of calling people in to do stuff that's closer to like where I live. So I'll be like, whatever, got a couple of buckets of salt and just go do it myself. Cause it's easy and I don't mind doing it, but it's, you, uh, are you glad? I mean, you guys have kind of scaled back this year on snow compared to previous years or. Yeah, I would say a little bit. It's more so different, I guess this year. Or more just than more than stub. anything. Yeah. Sub it out. So last year we had between 20 and 30 guys, uh, depending on the snow event and who showed up, quite frankly, out at any given time. We probably had 15, 12 pieces of equipment, something like that last year. Now this year we've got similar pieces of equipment. However, the difference is we've moved to more of like subcontracting some of our shoveling and whatnot. Um, just because we've had a hard time finding uh, reliable help and reliable workforce to go and do this. What I've kind of told everybody is if you need 15 guys to do the work to get the job done efficiently and for what you have, 
you should probably hire 25 to 30 people and expect that half of them are going to show up for the snow event because everybody's in the hospital every day it snows. So there's a million excuses, which is literally the hardest part about this industry is everyone, the alarm clock goes off at midnight or 2 a.m. and they don't want to get up, so they just don't, or they come up with an excuse. Yeah, I was going to say that I feel like the hardest part of the industry is just the people and and finding reliable people that are you can trust that are going to show up and are you know going to do a good job too like i don't know um i don't know if it's because compensation is not strong enough or if it's like no, just the odd it's the I mean, hours. it's i mean it's the the miserable hours and it's the miserable weather if you're out shoveling i mean yeah. that's terrible yeah it's the two worst conditions you got crappy weather and crappy hours and you can't the big thing too i found is a lot of guys just want like kind of stable work instead of this the hour you know you don't right. know when like this year the guys haven't had a lot of work because it hasn't snowed a lot so we haven't had much to do if you know anything of anything to do um but that's probably the biggest one because like years like this is where you start to see people they're fine you know they're excited to do snow at the beginning of the year or the beginning of the season and then we don't get any snow. So now they're to the point of like, okay, well, I need to do something to make some money. So they're looking for other jobs. And then if you get another job doing something full-time somewhere else during normal hours, well, you're not going to go wake up at 2 a.m. to shovel or plow for right. a few hours and then go to that normal job as well. Or it's very difficult to, and very few people want to do that. So they just end up quitting doing snow at that point. So it's a very, if you're going to get into the snow business at scale, I think you have to be really good at hiring people because it's going to be a lot of turnover and a lot of hiring people and trying to retain people. Yeah. And I would say pretty equipment heavy or at least have nice, reliable equipment too. It's kind of a yeah big thing that I imagine would help keep people. If, I mean, if you're running nice, warm equipment that <laughs> as opposed to old stuff that breaks down and you're out trying to fix it when it's five below zero and yeah everything's gonna break just because of the cold factor i feel like everything breaks at some point yeah but if you can reduce the amount of breakdowns and you can give someone like a heated cab versus we bought a ventrac ssv which is the stand-on like sidewalk snow machine it doesn't have a heated cab and hindsight like i think the machine with the heated cab was another 10 grand but realistically at the end of the day we probably should have just bought that because of the heated cab factor everyone and the big thing wasn't so much the price it was how it would fit into the trailer that we had for it yeah would have had to get a different trailer it couldn't it must have been a like much bigger enclosed trailer which then there's another twelve thousand dollars to go get a bigger enclosed trailer um but having the heated cab or something like that is well worth the money if you can afford it just because it's going to help keep people um around because it's easier to get out of bed at 2 a.m. when you can do a heated cab instead of knowing you're going to go shovel snow. Yeah. So what have you found has been, um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, I feel like there's a lot of guys out there that have a pickup truck and a snow plow and they, I mean, what's the competition like? Is it tough to, you know, is the pricing tough because other guys think they can do it cheap and they just, you know, it's just chucking a truck with a snowplow and chucking a truck <laughs> like that. <laughs> or like, what does pricing look like? Is it tough to make good margins or does it seem like it's good? I don't think it's tough to make good margins depending on where you're at. It's, I mean, it's all supply and demand. So with us being in the Twin Cities, if we're going into the Twin Cities to do the work, we can charge a pretty good rate for it because there's tons of concrete slash pavement, you know, surfaces yeah. everywhere that need to be cleared. And there's only so many people that are going to go and do that. Now, if we try to bid something in New Richmond, which is where our shop is kind of out in the boonies in Wisconsin a little bit, there's, I mean, there's a Walmart, there's like Aldi and like some big box stores and stuff like that. It's not a huge town. 
maybe a 10,000 people or whatever, but you know, big box stores there. And I've had like my dad and my brother ask like, you know, why don't we try to bid stuff out here? And it's like, because you've got hundreds of miles of farm field in every direction. And every one of those farmers has a pickup truck and a truck yep. and they don't have anything else to do in the winter at all. Right. And so they're going to go plow everyone's driveway. They're going to go plow the few apartment buildings that are there and they're going to bid on everything because they just, they don't have anything else to do. And they'll take that one account and that'll be like all they do. Yeah. So it's really hard to compete in those markets because of chucking a truck. I love that saying. That's, and they won't make any money. Yeah. And you don't make any money. I mean, we bid an apartment building out there, which was a friend of ours, you know, about as good a connection as you could get to try to get something. And we gave them like pretty good pricing. I would say it was like three grand for the entire season for like 140 unit apartment building, which when you start to average that out, like of what they cost them nothing in theory yeah. to do it per door. You know what I mean? And they found somebody to do it for cheaper. I was like, <laughs> all right, like, okay, go ahead. Jeez. You know? yeah. So yeah, we go into the city's denser populated area. The other good part about that, which we don't do a lot of honestly, but I would love to do more is snow relocation or hauling. Mm. Once you get these parking lots filled up in the cities, that snow has to go somewhere because it's taking parking spots. And then there's city codes where you need to have so many number of parking spots to like withstand your, like your business or the apartment building or whatever it is that you're clearing. So then they have to pay to haul that snow out, which is what's really nice because then you plow during the event, you got two days of plowing or whatever it is to get everything dialed in. And then if the next week there's no snow in the forecast, well, then you spend the next week hauling snow out. So you're busy all the time. And that's where you can get that consistent work versus, you know, out in the boonies, there's plenty of spots to push snow. And that, like I was saying earlier, if you want to retain employees, you need to have consistent work. That hauling and snow relocating is that's, what's going to create that consistent yeah, work. Yeah, that's great. I've so, uh, kind of when you touched on re snow relocation, I've seen uh, JCon over in White Bear Lake. They kind of yeah. take care of all the roads down in downtown, and I've seen them uh, in Montemilly, White Bear Lake. Oh, White Bear. Yeah. And they've uh, I've seen them working in, during snow events, and they just make mountains in the middle of these intersections downtown White Bear Lake. Yeah, and then I've they, seen that. And then they, I mean, once they're done there, it's like you couldn't even tell it snowed. Yeah. I mean, even the sidewalks and the curbs. I mean, it's just really a tidy job and. I mean, they they need to do that because they can't just winter all the snow onto the sidewalks and have those be full. So, um, like to your point, they they relocate all that snow out of there once it snows. It's pretty pretty cool production what they what they do. Yeah, there's there's good money in that because you got all the equipment to load it out, and then you can charge to dump it somewhere. And then we've charged to dump it. Our TV turned off, but yeah. that's all right. We don't need to see each other on the <laughs> um, screen for you guys watching on YouTube, but. We'll charge, like when we do that a couple of times, we've got a few properties of our own that will just extra space and we'll charge to dump the snow there. And essentially you're charging to dump the stuff that's going to melt in the spring. And then you got to pick up some garbage or whatever, because there's always yeah. garbage. But in theory, like there's a great model. You're charging to dump something that's going to disappear in a few months. So good money in that too. Yeah. Good margin. <laughs> yeah. It's just evaporating margin. Yeah. <laughs> but uh. I think, uh, I guess to speak to the, piece of margin too. I think um, because of the supply and demand of snow removal, where you're going out, everyone needs to go and in the same 12 hour window, get everything cleared in 12 hours. So there's a huge demand and there's not as much supply. If you're in these bigger metropolitan areas, you can charge pretty good money for it. When it comes down to like pickup trucks, when we're doing residential driveways and for our pickup trucks, that's the most profitable thing we can do. If we get a tight, dense route, 
we can get about $300 to $400 an hour for a pickup truck. Now we're charging per driveway for each one of these, but because it's such a quick, dense route and the truck can just bang these things out, it's equaling out to be about $300 to $400 an hour for a pickup truck, which is, I mean, I don't know, we've, you know, like a D6 dozer doesn't even charge that much and that's a $300,000, $400,000 piece of equipment. So that's pretty good money when you think about it. So the margin and snow removal can be very, very good. It's just all about what kind of accounts do you have? How close are they together? Because when you're driving from account to account, you're not getting paid to do that. You're getting paid to clear the snow on the account. So the longer you can spend on an account or shorter drive time, you're going to be more profitable. Yeah. When you, when you, when you touch on accounts, um, you know, there's seasonal accounts, there's per push accounts, monthly accounts. Um, do you feel like having a mix of different accounts is good or do you think having one or the other is good or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you definitely need to have a mix and we have a mix. Um, years like this where it doesn't snow at all, we're extremely thankful. We have guaranteed right. accounts. And then years like last year where it snowed all the time, you wish you just bid everything per time. But the reality of it is that's just not how it works. You got to, you know, some people like per time charging. Some people like, you know, the monthly flat rate where they can just budget everything out. Um, so we do kind of a mix model uh, where we'll have, we'll have enough um, guaranteed accounts to kind of cover our overhead of everything. So we know we're making some money each month, you know, covering our overhead and then making a little bit of money. And then we try to steer people towards per time or just get the accounts that are the per push accounts after that. Cause then every time we go out, we know we're making money. So I would like this year, we've got about $30,000 a month of guaranteed income, even when it's not snowing. So like November and December, we were charging about $30,000 a month and we only went out two times in total for both months. So it made pretty good money for that. But then some of our accounts, um, and it depends on the client, but a few, for example, will do mixed within the contract where the clearing of the snow is a guaranteed monthly price. So sidewalks, parking lot, clearing is guaranteed. And then snow haul away is an additional charge. And then salting or de-icing is an additional charge as well when we go out and do those services. So those are like the best of both worlds because when we go out to do the service, we're also having income coming in for salting or, you know, it's just, we're making a margin on that, which then covers the cost of some of our shoveling being out there. So then in theory, you know, that monthly price is just cash in our pocket that we don't have any expense on in theory, right? So I think if you can do a mix of both those models, that's really good. Or another way I've seen people do it, which we don't necessarily do is they'll, they'll just do a flat monthly rate for the clearing and the salting or de-icing. And then once we get, you know, 45 inches of snow for the season, that price becomes flexible or they start charging per time after that, which I guess I've, I've heard a lot of people doing that. We just don't do it. I feel like, and I don't honestly know, I could be wrong, but I feel like that's a little bit harder to sell to people because at the end of the day, then from their perspective, I would look at it and be like, okay, well, if it snows less than 45 inches, like you're getting guaranteed pricing up to 45 inches. So if it snows less, you win. And then if it goes over, I'm just paying per time anyway. So why wouldn't I just pay per time? So yeah. I feel like that's a harder sell versus, you know, this is all guaranteed and then it's only the salt that's charged per time when we use it because we have a material cost being there instead of just labor. So that's how I like to price them. Do your clients dictate kind of their, um, what they would prefer when it comes to accounts, whether it's seasonal or per push, or is that something that you would kind of lay out for them? Some people do. um, And a lot of people I've realized for the stuff that we do, when you get into like 
medical facilities and like high end, like, you know, campuses, like office campuses and things like that. These people have it like how they want it. And it just is what it is to an extent. Right. Or they already have like a bid document that they're like, here's your RFP, like, you know, write your quote and same with government stuff. They just tell you like, put your numbers in, um, for smaller businesses, a lot of people just honestly don't even know. They just, they're used to truck with the truck or whatever, like people that just kind of do whatever. So we try to educate them and tell them, you know, this is why we do, you know, the guaranteed with the mixed model of, you know, the de-icing is per time is nice because you guys can budget what it's going to cost to clear the snow every single time. And we tell them, you know, in Minnesota, there's usually on average 15 one inch snow events per year. And that's probably how many salt events you're going to have, or it's a little bit more than that for salt because we'll salt below trigger of one inch um, for snow as well. So it, it's just about, I think, educating people and then kind of letting them decide after that. And like I said earlier, when we're meeting with people, I'll kind of have an idea of, you know, we've got this many guaranteed contracts sold. So let's try to do, you know, add on some more per push stuff. So you can just kind of direct people that way too. And it depends on their business. Like all our residential stuff is per time basically. Um, Cause that's just easy for them. Whereas a lot of businesses, they do want some sort of guaranteed model. So they know what they're paying each month and they can budget that. So especially apartment buildings and things like that, where they just, they're on, they're not a fluctuating income level on anything. It's just, you know, the rent for the unit is this much and that doesn't change for them. So they want to know what they can budget each month. Yeah. And speaking on, you kind of touched on, we touched on equipment a little bit earlier, but um, what have you found to be kind of the most effective? I mean, is it kind of depend on the site as far as like trucks or skid loaders or loaders or, I mean, what, what have you found to be the most effective for equipment? I think it, yeah, site, if you've got a big open site, it's hard to beat a wheel loader or a tractor with a giant containment containment plow on it. Um, if you've got a really big site uh, and you can't, you know, you don't can't afford a wheel loader, or you don't want to do that. It doesn't make sense to lease one. I would say, honestly, and this is kind of um, against the grain from what most people think, but I would say a pickup truck's better than a skid loader on a big site because a skid loader can only go so fast. Yeah. And the pickup truck can go a lot faster than the skid loader. So um, I've done sites. We've got a site that's like an acre and a half and it's everything has to get chased to the other end of the site. And so the snow goes from this side all the way to that side. And we've had skid loaders there before. And we actually have a skid loader there this year just because we're out of trucks to go do other stuff. And we've got an extra skid loader. So we just do the skid loader and a plow there. And it just stays there. And the guy goes there, gets in it, does his thing for a few hours and then he's done. But when we're doing it with a truck, it's probably an hour and a half quicker on a small snowstorm because we can just, yeah, you can move so fast. You can go 20 miles an hour with the truck going down, wind row everything to the side and then, you know, go 20, 30 in reverse on the way. I mean, (laughs) and hang on. (laughs) Yeah. I guess maybe I wouldn't encourage that for all the, going fast, everybody, but going quicker in reverse than you are going forward. Well, yeah, because the snow's not coming up over oh, into the yeah. windshield, so you can actually see that when you're going backwards. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. You just you can move pretty quickly with the truck. So yeah. and then you get a nine foot plow and you put wings on the side and you got eleven foot of clearing, um, or you do those back drag plows, which I know a lot of people run, which we don't. But yeah, um, I mean, yeah, you can get like fourteen feet wide with one of those. So maybe more, maybe sixteen. I've seen saying, I don't, just crazy. Yeah. Those are pretty interesting. But my biggest complaint with that is I just don't like. I think of employees and just, I feel like Mailboxes people, and yeah, just all of that happens. So yeah. 
put that thing where they can see it. Well, <laughs> I know I it's too, there. like think about the amount of snow that you're able to grab with a 16 foot blade on a pickup truck. Yeah. That's a lot of snow. That's a lot of snow. But I see you guys just, <laughs> just pound the crap out of those trucks and send it. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't like buying used plow trucks. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that much. You see That's the plow mounts in the truck, you're like, oh, next. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not for me. But huh. yeah, I think there's a, I don't know, depends on the site for equipment. Now, if you're in a tight site or like doing townhomes um, or, you know, a lot of residential driveways that are close together, skid loader is probably your best bet because of the maneuverability of how sharp it can turn and you can, you know, push stuff down one way, spin, and then push stuff, you know, out the driveway or whatever. Yeah. So. There is uh, some advantages there. It just totally depends on the type of site. But what uh, do you think you'd ever want to get back into snow someday, Gavin? Nope. You're just content <laughs> with not doing snow. I don't know. I guess I, I know I mentioned to you, Carson, that like I think the only way I'd want to get into snow is if I was like really good at selling it and really good, had really strong contracts written up. And then I would just kind of subcontract all of the work or 90% of the work. Yeah, just or, coordinate. I mean, just be a coordinator. Um, that would be the only reason I'd want to be involved, I think. And well, I think there's potential for that even to be. Yeah, a lot of like, companies just do that. Yeah, right. So, but yeah, I just, I've not had a whole lot of interest in it and I don't think I ever will be too interested in it. I think it's fun to do it once in a while, but I cannot, uh, see myself being a operator for 12 to 24 hours straight of pushing snow. It's, it's fun for the first two hours. And then it's yeah. like, all right, I'm tired I, of sitting on my ass. <laughs> I would agree. Well, and that's like the worst part, especially. So if you guys are like trying to get in the snow business and you're growing the hardest part that I've experienced over the last few years is when you have to do exactly that, where you're out plowing for, you know, whatever, eight, nine, 10, 12 hours at a time. And then, I mean, you can't play on the snow, right? So you've got your week scheduled and your meetings or whatever, and then it snows. And so then you're up all night doing that. And then you've got three sales meetings for the day to go try to sell landscaping so you can be busy in the spring. And you're either deadbeat tired and the sales meeting goes like crap because you're tired or you have to call them and reschedule. And I just don't like doing that because at the end of the day, like the bulk of our business is landscaping. So you're compromising that just to go do snow removal. So I totally see where you're coming from. Um, other than I will say we make a better margin doing snow removal than we do landscaping. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess to your point of like, you know, working 10, 12 hours and then coming home and you get home at five in the morning or whatever, or eight in the morning. And then it's just, then your whole normal day is thrown yeah. off. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you burn two days. It feels like it. You yeah. burn two days up. Um, and it, it just kind of, at least for me, threw off my my schedule and threw off kind of my my work life, and I just didn't have a whole lot of uh, care or desire to continue pushing to sell it and keep keep us uh, involved with it. So I just was like, I'm done. Yeah, it's not easy. That's for sure. Not that I'm afraid of hard, difficult things, but <laughs> just well, not not my cup of tea. Well, I think there's the one good part about it. Um, unlike a lot of things in the service industry, um, and in the green industry, I guess I would say from what I've experienced is we, last year we averaged a 60% gross margin on snow removal and it was an astronomically good year with how much snow we had. So, 
Um, there was a lot of extra services requested and stuff like that. And just with the demand, there was a lot of companies that dropped accounts mid season and we had people reach out to us mid season. We're like, I mean, like we're such at capacity. Like I, I just throw stupid prices at them and they'd be like, okay, do it. And it's like, yeah. all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, I guess. So there's, there can be a really good margin in snow. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, do you want to justify maybe not being able to be as good at the landscaping side to do that? Or do you want to put in the extra effort for a few years, you know, to, like I was saying, power through that and get to a point where you can be at scale um, and in theory, you know, get yourself out of the field and then just be the man employees or subcontractors or whatever it is. Yeah. What are some good reasons of why you think it would be good for someone to get into the snow removal business or even just the that side of the business when it comes to landscaping or lawn maintenance? Well, I think you got to have... If you're in lawn maintenance, I think snow removal, if you can do it or, you know, you're in the climate to do it is necessary. Um, Just with maintenance contracts, you mean, or? Yeah. I mean, otherwise someone else is going to do both and then you're kind of screwed because the management companies on commercial stuff or even like homeowners, a lot of times they want someone that can just handle everything. And from a subscription base, like business standpoint, if you can do both, I think there's huge value in that. And that raises the value of your company, especially if you've got two, three, four, five year contracts on maintenance, you know, fertilizer and snow, that's pretty valuable. If you've got a long-term contract like that, that's priced right. Um, and making good money, I mean, it's makes your company very valuable. I've seen, yeah. I know a company that, um, well, it seems like Brightview is buying everybody these days, but, um, Brightview bought a lawn and snow company in the twin cities here for like $25 million a few years back. And, uh, who I knew the owner of or whatever, um, as like through another person, but, um, I mean, that's a, to, to start with a pickup truck and a lawnmower, I mean, a $25 million exit's pretty good, I would say. Yeah, so, that's more than a six-figure exit, I'd Yeah, say. that's more than the six-figure exit. So that's a, yeah, eight-figure exit. So good for him. But uh, yeah, so I, I think you kind of got to, you kind of got to do it. And I guess, what are some reasons you could see why it would not be a great idea to get into the business? Depending on what you're doing, I mean, every, you know, I would say a great example of where I wouldn't get into snow is if you're like a high-end design build landscape company and it's like your owner operator setup and you don't want to scale a, you know, eight figure company, you just want to do anywhere from a million to 10 million a year and just do the highest end like luxury stuff and that's it and take the winners off and do your thing or just focus on design work over the winter. And you're kind of, you know, the owner operator and I'm picturing like a guy that does the designs himself and you just, you can make a lot of money that way when you're doing owner operator stuff because you're taking a huge piece of like labor out of it, of hiring a high end management person or whatever. Um, so C if you're a CEO, yeah, CEO, <laughs> I don't know if you even call it that at that point, but, um, if, if you want to be kind of that person, I would say just be that person and then don't get into snow. But if you want to be, if you want to scale a large company, you know, whether it's design build or maintenance or whatever in this area and scale to a large company, I think you just have to do it because you need cash flow throughout the winter. You know, that person's going to, the design build high end guy is going to lay everybody off and they're going to go on unemployment for the winter or they're going to have subcontract crews and they're just going to, you know, have low overhead because it's just them. Um, and a few other people and it's just, you know, they're doing the designs and they're able to focus on that and they're never going to scale past that, which is fine. And you can make a lot of money that way. 
um, but their expenses go down significantly in the winter. Whereas if you're trying to scale a large company and you've got, you know, management in place with salaries, it's hard to sustain those salaries unless you just make a ton of cash in the summer. But then it's also like, okay, so these people aren't going to do anything all winter long and we're just going to watch the bank account drain every single month because there's no other money coming in. So that's where the snow removal is nice. Yeah. And, and I know we touched on this earlier too, um, talking about people and how that seems to be like the biggest thing, the biggest issue with the industry. Do you have any um, insight on how you can keep people or how you can get people to show up or is that still something that you're working on? I am certainly still working on that. Yeah. That's the, that's the trickiest part of the whole thing for me, for us. And I feel like for everybody, I mean, in the local, excuse me, snow plowing groups, there is, I mean, you hear that all the time, like the guys didn't show up or this or that or whatever, and people complaining about it. And I honestly don't know what a good solution to it is other than being a good leader, you know, from once you get good people there, be a good leader, a good role model and, you know, keep a positive environment um, and good equipment because there's nothing worse and make someone want to quit more than they get there. And, you know, also make sure you're, if you got one really good person, hire as you know, don't, like we talked about in another podcast, don't hire a bunch of C or B players just yep. to fill gaps. You know, just try to do your best to only hire A players because when you've got an A player, if they're running crappy equipment, it's cold, stuff's breaking down, and two of the other guys didn't show up, so they're doing twice as much work, I can guarantee you that guy's going to quit way quicker than if he was in a warm cab. He had two other A-team players with him that knew what's going on, and he didn't have to babysit, and they showed up every single time. Um, and you just had, you know, one crew instead of two crews with two, a and I've made this mistake firsthand. You've got two A players, each leading a crew and you think they can, you know, whip everybody else into shape and it doesn't happen that way. No, just put those people together, make them work well together efficiently and just skip the two crews thing. And just, you're going to have to grow a little bit slower if that's the case. I mean, I've can tell you firsthand from trying to grow really quickly and doing exactly that. It doesn't end well ever. No. So, so you got to attract top talent and you got to keep it. And I think that comes down to, like Carson said, the equipment and compensation. And um, I think what kind of enables you to, I guess, compensate more, it would be kind of understanding your numbers really well and what your costs are to go do an event. Um, and then also making sure that your contracts are paying you to pay your people a fair, you know, maybe even a higher wage than average. Yeah. And if you're able to do it, especially years like this, um, if you can put your guys on like a retainer for them to be with you, where in a year like this, when it's slow, just to, even if it's like a thousand bucks a month, we're going to give you just to be here, even though you're not doing anything. Um, and then when you go out, you're going to get hourly as well on top of that or something. I think that's huge. That's an incentive. Um, and then actually like finding those people is definitely difficult. Honestly, looking on Craigslist, um, Indeed, we've done a lot of, but you kind of get hit or miss on there because I feel like everyone on Indeed's looking to be more of a management position. It's not, it's a little harder, I feel like, for blue collar workers. Um, Craigslist is a little, a little more old school, I would say, for that. And people, for whatever reason, that just, I feel like that's more like the blue collar mindset. You yeah. Know? Well, and I think Indeed is an expensive way to, I mean, can be expensive to find people. Yeah but you're paying for a service and that's kind of is what it is. Yeah. And I would say first and foremost, above all of those, which I guess I just thought was obvious in my mind, but we'll say it is like friends and family and like talking to people, you know, like who, you know, is going to be your best network of finding people. 
and just always, every time you see somebody like, I'll do this all the time, like randomly, just when I'm talking to somebody, if it's a friend or whatever, I'll be like, Hey, you got a friend that wants to do snow removal, or you got a friend that wants to buy landscaping or you, I don't know if this camera is going to work ever. You got a friend that wants to, you know, do anything. Um, you know, just send them our, like yeah. I always ask for referrals, whether it's, you know, for work or for employees, just ask everybody, you know, and don't be afraid to ask, even if, you know, joking way, but like, no, seriously, like, yeah, hey, you got somebody. Yeah. So. The more, the more uh, people know about what you do, the better it's going to serve your business, I think is kind of what it comes down to. And word of mouth is huge. And I think if you have a good, strong reputation and people know that, um, that often attracts people. And I think people, it's not always about money. I think it's always kind of a lot about what your company represents and kind of the overall reputation that you have um, is what keeps people around too. Yeah, I I would agree with that to like touch on that. I think a huge thing is uh, just what your company represents and um, the culture of the company. If you've got, I feel like, especially in the blue collar industry, like everyone's, you know, they like the big trucks, the big wheels. And, you know, that's just kind of like that whole crowd, right? Like I like it, you know, but I think if, if you got cool equipment or you can do something that's a little bit different than somebody else and it, you know, these people are going out and they're the other, you know, the, the people they work for is truck and it's just boring or it's, you know, old or beat up and they see all your guys out there and new trucks and they got nice high vis with the logo on it. And they got, you know, everything looking good. They're kind of like, well, shit, I want to, I want that stuff. Like I'd like to work for the company that has all the nice stuff and the cool stuff. And what is feel cool? What is that? Why do you think that is? Why is there guys that have old rusted out, rusted out trucks and equipment? But why is there guys that have all brand new loaders, all brand new skid loaders The everybody's got matching high vis with the logos? Is it the leaders and their bidding process or is it, what do you think that it might be? Yeah. I mean, I think it just comes down to the leader and like what the owner wants out of the company at the end of the day. I think 20 years ago, it probably didn't matter. I don't think it made a bit of difference. Like nobody cared, but you look at like just today's generation and not even today's generation, but today's time, like how everybody thinks. I mean, it's all like keeping up with the Joneses, just like Waylon Jennings said in his song, um, keeping up with the Joneses. They've got, you know, new car. Everyone's got a new car and yeah. they want the nice stuff. It's no different than when they go to work. They don't want to go to work and show up with the beat up old rusty pickup truck. They want to have the nice stuff. So I think that's just the way people think these days. And I don't know, there's nothing wrong with it. It just is what it is. And you got to adapt to it. And if you want to grow, I think that you got to cater to that. So yeah. even if you don't think, look, you know, the old truck makes me just as much money as the, the new truck does. Well, yeah, it might, but who wants to run the old truck? But uh, do you think it's th these companies that have old equipment and it's rusted out? Like, is it them not understanding what they should be charging or having a good handle on their accounts or that's, you know, separates them from these other guys that are, you know, even a, maybe a bigger business that has nicer equipment and, you know, more overhead. I mean, what, what would be the separator that, I mean, is it them charging more? I mean, I feel like that would be the I don't even case. think that's it. I honestly think it's, it's where is the owner at, at the point of his career? Like there's a or company, her. yeah, or, <laughs> or them, um, yeah, whatever you want to be, where, where are they at in the point of their career? And a good example, I can't think of the company's name. It'll come to me later, but there's a company in the West Metro, Kivit. They do a lot of snow, Kevit, Kivit, K-E-V-I-T-T. They do a lot of, they do like construction stuff, dirt work and whatever else, but they do snow removal for the city of Minneapolis, along with one of the contractors that we subcontract for does a ton of stuff for the city of Minneapolis as well. 
part of that is they do these alleys where they wheel loaders like drive up and down the alleys and they plow. And if you guys watch my YouTube videos, you've seen this exact thing going on or what I've made videos on it, but you go up and down the alleys, plow the alleys and whatever. And whenever you get over four inches or more of snow in the city of Minneapolis, they consider that a snow emergency and these alleys have to be done. So as soon as they hit four inches, they call these like four or five like contracted people that all, and each one of these companies has like four or five wheel loaders like, hey, four inches, it's a snow emergency. You need to start the alleys within an hour and you have to drop everything you're doing and go start your, pick up your stuff from the like public works facility. They give you these big maps and you have to go do it. Now, Kivit was a bit of a long way to explain the story, but Kivit always had old loaders that when I did this years ago, like they always had much older. We were in brand new Komatsus with the contractor I was with and I would just go run it for them. And then they always had older wheel loaders and they're charging the same thing. They're everyone's making the same money there because it's a government contract. But they had older equipment, and it was like upkept well, and it wasn't all rusty. It was you know repainted and whatever. Yep. And they were updating it. But I genuinely think like, and there's a certain point where it's like, okay, you just you know clean stuff up, and it's a different business model, and you just it's paid for for them, so they could just keep cleaning it up instead of buying a new one. And I would suspect, and I honestly don't know, but I would suspect companies like that, the owners, to the point of like maybe they want to retire or sell the business. Does it really make sense to take on a bunch of debt to buy new equipment right now? Or all of this stuff's working fine with, even if we spend five grand a year and putting new parts on it, it's better than spending 20 grand a year in payments or whatever. Yeah. So where is the owner at in business? I think that's a big piece of it. And not that having old equipment is bad or can't work. Like they kept it up really well. It looked cool. Um, cause it's like, you know, old, I mean, I think that's cool. Well, it is amazing stuff. to like, you drive around here, in Minnesota, you see a bunch of parking lots with equipment in it. And it's amazing to see some of these old wheel loaders that are still yeah. parked on these parking lots that they use to, you know, clear these lots and like some old eighties caterpillars. Yeah. It's like, Holy cow. Classic. Or John Deere's. It's like, I can't believe these things are still in operation, but they still run them and. I mean, it's pretty amazing what, what uh, I don't even know what they go for, 20, 30, 40 grand. And then, or you got a brand new cat loader that's 200, you know, 200 yeah. grand. It's like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of money. It's just, uh, it's a big spread. So, I mean, I think a lot of guys, it's easier, you know, barrier of entry to get the older machines. And, um, you know, like you said, it could be just paid off and it is just money that comes in your pocket and, from there on out because it's paid for and all you have to do is pay for maintenance or repairs and um, just kind of a trade-off, like you said, of the business owner and their, their season of business and kind of where they, the direction of the business they want to go with, I guess. Yeah. And I think to like speak to that too, even if, you know, if you're starting and you can't afford the new equipment or, you know, you don't want to necessarily, um, not like advocating, like you need to have new equipment to get started in this. Like we all started with the older stuff. I mean, that's just what you do because you don't have money to buy the new stuff and it is what it is. But just because you don't have the new stuff doesn't mean you shouldn't be charging like you have the new stuff to an extent, right? If you have a nine foot plow, don't charge for a 14 foot plow. You know, you charge for a nine foot plow, but a brand new plow versus an old plow, no matter how old it is, as long as you're being as efficient, you know, with the exception of like breakdowns and whatever, um, you should be charging the same rate or the same cost to do the parking lot. Even if you have old equipment, you know, it's just might take you a little bit longer, but it's a flat fee that you charge or, you know, whatever the case is, don't adjust your pricing cheaper because you can do it cheaper because you have older equipment, yep. charge the same rates as everyone's going to charge. If you have new equipment, 
because that's how you start to be able to afford the new equipment. So price everything like you're buying new equipment, even if you're not. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you're, you know, you're making a larger margin that you're able to invest into larger equipment and you kind of need, or newer equipment, you kind of need that newer, more reliable piece because you just have more volume and you're doing more work and, you know, breakdowns and repairs end up costing time, which ends up costing a lot of money. So I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I see guys that start out with, you know, like you said, cheaper equipment that they can afford. And then we're kind of feel like they need to move into newer stuff because of reliability and um, not having the fear of breakdowns and repairs as much, I think is pretty um, just important to like your overall efficiency and cost and what you're making for profits too. At the end of the day, if you're doing a lot of work with snow removal. Yeah. I, I think that goes for anything. Like you yeah, guys got sure. a lot of newer equipment. Yeah. When was the point? Like, did you start with newer equipment or? Yeah. Pretty much everything I bought was new. Big dog. Big dog. I, yeah. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I think part of it was financing the equipment, um, you know, making it accessible to get new equipment. And then I knew it was important not to have breakdowns and re- it was important to be reliable and efficiency was another big thing for me. Like, I didn't want to go buy a, a wheeled skid loader to go do yeah. dirt work or landscaping even. And so I was like, I just need to go buy a track machine and I might as well go buy a new one and finance it. And um, I don't know, it's worked out well for us, but you just have to make sure that you're recovering the cost of having that equipment in your projects. So that, I mean, having the nicer, newer equipment costs more money. So ultimately we got to charge our customers more money. Um or at least, you know, make sure that we we are recovering that that out um, that money that we're you know making payments on. And but uh, like it was always important for me to be in reliable equipment and efficient equipment because I knew that it was going to be what led us to do more volume, I guess. Yeah, and if you're just getting started in any of these, like you started with newer equipment, it's thinking of snow removal, you could start with new equipment, but go sell the stuff first before you buy the new equipment, right? I mean, you've got all summer to sell snow removal. And by the time October comes, you'll have a pretty good idea of what you have sold or November. Buy the stuff last minute. I think now during COVID, that was a little harder when stuff was, equipment was harder to come by. But right now, I don't think that's the case where I think you could go to the dealer and in a couple of weeks have what you want. want. Um, I don't think that'd be hard at all. So I think... um, sell if you can you're starting out you can sell a bunch of stuff throughout the summer get lined up and then you know what you're going to be making throughout the winter then you can justify potentially going and buying a new piece of equipment to help you be more efficient to go do all of that so but sell the stuff first i've seen the people that buy the equipment first and hope the work comes doesn't ever seem to end well no yeah you can't make payments and they come take it away from you (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly which uh yeah you don't want to be in that position for sure yeah I can imagine that's not any fun. No. Well, any thoughts, Carson, that maybe we didn't touch on that you could leave the people with that you feel like would help them in their snow business or if they want to get in the snow business or if they don't? I think you got to be snow. The snow industry is going to be one of the most stressful things you probably do, honestly, Um, because like you said earlier at the beginning, you just can't schedule it. It just is what it is. And you got to roll with the punches and you're going to have days where, Tomorrow it's not supposed to snow and then you wake up and there's snow or 
you know, I mean, there's just strange things because it doesn't seem like anyone can predict the weather anymore. And it's, it's difficult. So it's not for everybody. And I think really identifying like anything in business, where do you want to go with it? You got to look at it as a little bit of a, you know, separate business. If you're doing like us landscaping and snow, well, it's almost like two separate businesses to an aspect, you know, what do you want to do with your snow business? Is it just something to cover your overhead in the winter and that's all it ever needs to be? Or do you actually want to make money the four months, five months out of the year when you're doing snow removal? Um, and you know, make some good money at it and you got to kind of set everything up in two different ways then. Yeah. And I, you know, kind of what thought I had is like, I've seen, you know, most cases it's lawn care, concrete guys, landscape companies that do snow removal. Um, but I've seen businesses that are just snow removal and oh yeah, they're great at it and they have a lot of equipment. And, um, I think it's, it's a high risk industry and business but it also can be high reward because of that. I, th- I feel like, and if you got your systems down, right, your contracts are in line um, and you just have a good handle on your business. I think the people that are focused more just on snow are able to do better because that's all they're focused on. They're not focused on landscaping or concrete or um, taking care of somebody's lawn <laughs> in the summer, you know? So I feel like they're able to maybe do a little bit better job with their, their business. I would, yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. And that's what one of the subcontractors, we do a bunch of stuff where they started out doing landscaping and I, they realized there's more money in snow. So they just did snow only. And now they do like some, they added on like seal coating in the summer to do something. Um, but it was a great business model. I mean, they realized all the money that was in snow and they're like, why are we working in the summer? Like, let's go work all winter and enjoy all summer. The opposite of what we yeah. do now, which makes a lot more sense. I mean, I'd rather be on the boat all summer doing nothing <laughs> than, uh, you know, sitting in the house waiting for the snow to melt. So yeah. Or um, to come. Yeah. <laughs> or, or to show up. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just a matter of what you want to do, um, and plan accordingly. So one yeah. thing that you mentioned there though, it is risky. Um, make sure you have good insurance and get mm-hmm. pricing on insurance before you start or always be quoting it out every year because insurance in this is like very expensive. It's like tree care where there's like more damage caused than like most other industries. So it is extremely expensive. So make sure you're insured really well. And if you guys don't know where to go for insurance um, and you're in the twin cities area, like hit me up. I've got a few good people that we've found um, have really good pricing and have worked hard to earn our business. So yeah, along with, you know, making sure you're covered with insurance too, is making sure you have strong contracts that are cover your tail too, that kind of lay out everything and make sure you're protected as a contractor. Yeah. We didn't even really touch on contracts. Maybe we should dive, dive into that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I would touch on with that, and I know you can speak to this too, is be very clear with what you're doing and not only what you're doing, but what you're not doing yep. in the contract, because it always seems to be this gray area of oh, well, I thought you were doing that. And I was like, well, why would you think that? Like, I never said I was doing that and nor does it say in the contract that we're doing that. So be very clear with what you're doing and what you're not doing and set a very good expectation up front. Um, We've spent a lot of time working on our contracts to get them pretty good. And like I've said before, they're always kind of changing, but... Is that something you've developed on your own or is that something you've worked with an attorney with? Yeah, we both. I kind of like took a lot of the stuff that I knew we needed um, and then had an attorney add some of the legal mumbo jumbo. Um, But I think working alongside your attorney as well is helpful just to make sure everything's legal and actually binding. And do those contracts kind of 
differ from site to site or account to account, or is it like a contract is a contract and it's kind of universal throughout your entire snow business? It's a little bit universal. I'll make adjustments based on like trigger amounts. Like some people want to have, like if there's a flurry in the air, you come out to the site to check it. So we'll change like verbiage in the scope of work, um, which is part of the contract, but more so like the contract of, you know, when you're paying, how you're paying, you know, the fees on if you use a credit card, you know, and just general terms of what we have for insurance, what our expectation of you guys is, like who yeah. to contact, all that stuff is pretty similar for all of them. So there'll be little tweaks and changes depending on the account, but for the most part, it stays the same other than the scope of work of what we're doing. Yeah. So, but have good contracts. That's, that's big. I think in, that's the quickest way to lose money is not setting a clear expectation sure. and having a very murky contract. Well, not not even just in snow business. I mean, really any service business, I feel like yeah, you need to have anything. clear expectations and it should be mapped out in a contract. Um, even if it seems like you know these people, they're going to treat you well, it can sometimes come and bite you back in the butt. Um, I can tell you if, firsthand. We could, that's yeah. a whole other fireside chat on <laughs> The nice guy that turned into a dick. Yeah. The old handshake uh, agreement turns into a disagreement and then yeah, court you, case. you get screwed and because you didn't have anything written in place. And so don't be afraid to get some contracts in place, even if it seems like you don't need it. You always need it. And actually in the state of Minnesota, it's you can't, you shouldn't, you cannot legally do work for somebody in the state of Minnesota, like service work, building anything of this without a contract. It's illegal. So so you better get some contracts. Yes, you better get a freaking contract. But, huh. Well, that's great. Yeah, there's a lot of info there. If you guys got questions, hit us up on social media. Yeah, Carson might be a better judge of character for when it comes to snow, but. Yeah, but. If you DM me, I'll DM his yeah, information to you. Talk to, reach out to my people. Yeah. My people are getting The team, my team. That's, yeah, my team. Uh, my people can get in touch with your people. But yeah, hopefully, uh I don't know. We kind of went through a good amount of different topics when it comes to snow and hopefully got some value into you guys out there that are interested in snow or are in snow. And um, I know Carson's got a little bit more to share than I do, but um, I'm, I'm eager to learn more. Not that I want to get oh, back into you it, but, do it. I know you do, but it. I, uh, it's just always enjoy learning and just hearing more about business. Cause I enjoy it. Yeah. If you don't know, how do you grow? In the snow. In the snow. <laughs> That's a wrap, uh, folks. Geez, we got to go. We'll catch you next week on episode 14. And I apologize. We were supposed to have a guest today, uh, but he ended he up. keeps flaking. keeps flaking. He ended up getting a nose job. So he, uh, he'll be he'll be in next time. Yeah, he can tell us the story about what's what happened. Yeah. If you can get this camera to work for video, you'll be yeah. able to see. On YouTube. So, but All right, friends. We'll catch you in the next one. Thanks, guys. Peace.